All right, welcome to Failure TV. I'm happy to have you all back. Uh, today on the show, I have George Brown. He is a now retired uh, former private uh, independent contractor, former NATO employee, former employee of Government of Canada. He has uh, done quite a bit uh, in the government field, and I'm very happy to have him on the show. How are you doing, George? Very nice, Craig. Thanks, thanks for having me. I, I really appreciate this. No problem. Thank you very much for coming on. Um, quite the time difference here. You're over in uh, Belgium. What time is it over there? It's uh, 10 a.m. here. It's now 7, 7 o'clock Central 7 European time. All right. 7 so most of us are just getting started and you're just getting ready for, for the end of the day here. It's usually the way it goes, isn't it? So um, why don't you tell us uh, a little bit uh, about uh, your history um, working for NATO and the uh, government of Canada and what you were doing there? Well, I, I started off a long time ago. I'm, I'm a lot older than I look. <laughs> I'm now in my 70s. But, uh, yeah, I, I, had a, I had an interesting, very interesting career and, and a lot of opportunities along the way, a lot of chances for failure, a lot of recoveries. Yeah. And, uh, I, you know, I mean, go right back to the very beginning, I guess. I... I, uh, I my first big challenge was was to survive. You may not have have, have known this, but uh, I I was I was born a twin. Uh, I had a twin brother. Uh, I survived. He didn't. Uh, it was he was stillborn. Later on, my mother had uh, another set of twins, twin sisters. So that too was a challenge. <laughs> I bet. Uh, but I I I was a, I was an I was a sick. Uh, sick puppy in the beginning. Uh, I had uh, serious, serious asthma. I grew up awkward. Uh, I, I couldn't run. I couldn't, I couldn't catch a ball. I was uncoordinated. And you know, these, these sorts of disadvantages uh, lead you to, lead you to adapt, to find alternatives, to, most of all, to improve, and I and I did. I, I I grew in my teenage years. I grew out of my asthma, into hay fever. But uh, <laughs> asthma, it's a lot better than asthma. I tell you, <laughs> uh, I all through my early childhood, not being able to keep up with the other kids, it it just destroys your self confidence. But really I, nice. I I found that if you adapt. You find alternatives, uh, life life gets a whole lot better, and and you can re recover that. I uh, I became uh, a member of the YMCA, and swimming was my thing. You go in the water. I mean, I could keep up with the other kids in the water because they did, they couldn't swim either, <laughs> and so we were on a level playing field. And so I you know I I got into competitive swimming and water polo. Uh, later on, uh, I had joined the Navy. I'd been in the Sea Cadets, and I joined the Navy, and they sent me off to Royal Roads, the uh, military college on the West Coast, mm -hmm. and uh, that 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 was a challenge. I, I found the academic program was was very difficult, and uh, the sports program was also challenging. But I was growing out of my asthma, and I was able to face 
what we did on the first day when we arrived, we started into cross-country training. Uh, <laughs> every day we ran five miles. Oh, wow. And it was competitive. It, and and I, I wasn't the best, but at least I, I was in the top 15% or so by within a few days of running these five miles every day. So you do, you do have a chance to overcome, uh, not, they're not disabilities, but disadvantages you have in childhood. Uh, you can, you can, Absolutely. you can grow out of, you can grow out of them. And, yeah. and because of the yeah. swimming and water polo that I, I had got into, uh, as a teenager, I, I was then on the college swim team, the college water polo team. I set, uh, two uh, swimming records uh, in in the college, one at Royal Roads and one at the Royal Military College in Ontario. You know, so every dark cloud gives you an opportunity. Uh, the sun can shine again. Yeah, well, when you were in Royal Roads, like looking back on, you know, the, the issues that you had growing up and the things that you did overcome, did you ever think that you were going to to be where you where you ended up uh, at the college going for, for that kind of stuff? I never thought, I never even thought about it. I just, I just loved the Navy and I, I wanted to be in the Navy. I wanted to be a Naval officer and uh, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. What was the draw for uh, you? Like, what what made you want to be part of the the Navy versus like the the Air Force or Army? Well, or, you know, when when we were when we were young, we heard all these war stories. You know of how you know, how the Canadian Navy grew in World War II to be the third largest navy in the world, and then you see all these movies, all this all this hero stuff, and and, and it just it had a charm uh, that I wanted to be involved in and uh, <laughs> not everyone did a lot of people arrived at the military college with no military background whatsoever and a lot of them uh, they uh, left voluntarily by by christmas <laughs> first first six weeks you couldn't leave it was it was part of the program you were locked you were locked in and you could not leave but after six weeks okay anyone wants to leave get out of the program can go and and people did we had a further drop out at christmas after the christmas exams as i say the academic program was tough and uh, it was a you know a, a complete uh, college uh, college education and everyone was required to do everything and uh, not everyone was cut out for it so we had a lot of failures. When we arrived the first day, uh, they lined us up and said, okay, the 200 of you, look to your left, look to your right. One of you is not gonna be here at the end of the year. And that was true. We lost half of our, half of our uh, recruit intake in the first year. They were gone. They'd never finished. They went off to, to civilian university and to, to finish their degree. And, and that was the end of it. Yeah. What do you what do you think it is between the the mil or what do you think possibly could it be between the the military type school and the and regular type school that didn't really appeal to them that that made them decide to leave or that they couldn't handle it and decide to move out? Do you think it was with the actual education or do you think it was more a, a personal thing on their side? Well, most of them had been selected, uh, you know, that 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 could handle the academics. I think what they weren't prepared for was the discipline. Uh, 
they weren't prepared for regulated 24 hours a day. You know, uh, you had this sports program, which uh, everyone did everything. You had a, you had the academic program, where at least in the first two years, everyone did everything. Then you branched off in your third and fourth year. You had you had the military program as well. You had uh, summer training with your with your own element, whether you were Army, Navy, or Air Force. You went off to the Navy as we did. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned it <laughs> at the end of the first year. Uh, we went off to to Fourth uh, Escort Training Squadron, Fourth Escort Squadron, uh, on in in Victoria, and it was it was. Uh, demanding on our ship was particularly demanding and every everyone on our ship just about everyone wanted to leave the navy at the end of the summer training they they were fed up with it and but they didn't they hung in they stayed they stayed with it a few, the occasional person dropped out but yeah. most people yeah. uh, overcame their uh, uh, whatever may be holding them back yeah, and uh, I really do think, well, from from the people that I know that uh, have had military uh, careers, um, definitely don't know anybody um, that has the career like yours, but uh, I, I've heard a lot of things from, from different people uh, about going to like military schools. And like you had said, uh, the, the discipline was one of the things that a lot of people can really handle, but I think it also gave you a lot of um, additional benefits that a lot of people don't get in a regular lifestyle you know you don't generally get that kind of discipline and understanding of how things work and building those teams that can really help you go forward even if you're not in you know military going forward um i had done army cadets um back when i was younger um i think i was from 14 to 17 i think i was in army cadets and that was one thing that i definitely learned from that was definitely got the the discipline out of it but the the team building as well was something that because I was more of a geek in school. Um, I didn't have a lot of friends, so I was always more of more of the loner. So always working alone. But going into the cadets really helped me uh, build up that team spirit and understanding how to work better with with people. Um, would you say that uh, your time, uh, especially during that summer camp, even though everyone wanted to leave, do you think they were still having a uh, a half decent good time, you know, bonding with everyone. Uh, our, 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 our ship was just a particularly, particularly bad one. In that respect, the personnel, the the training officer was 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 a bit funny, you know. Uh, in 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 my viewpoint, anyway. Other ships had a lot of fun, you know, and and you know we had what seven ships in the squadron, and we were spread out among the different ships, yeah. You know? In with the in with the rest of the crew, and as a as a cadet, as a midshipman going on these ships, you are the lowest form of sea life. <laughs> you're you're lower you're lower than an an I can't say it right, an amoeba. <laughs> you're you're the bottom of the heap. And, um, and so we, we you know they said if you're going to be an officer, you have to learn how to scrub the deck, you have to learn how to paint, you have to learn how to chip, you have to do all the dirty work too. And or else you're not gonna be able to do, uh, uh, to be a good officer unless you've unless you've done it all. I, I we, agree we, with that. that. That part of it, we, uh, we, we, we hung in. It was just, our particular ship was, uh, was one that uh, 
had a bad reputation uh, among the cadets anyway. Right. Anyway. Now, you brought up a really good point there um, about, um, you know, if you want to be a good officer, you, you have to do all this and you have to know this and this. Um, do you think that once people achieve those goals and become those officers or become a CEO or become those top level things, they start to kind of forget where they came from, forget about those low level jobs and start making decisions that, you know, if they were more in person there, they could get a better sense of what's happening and what should be done? Who knows? I think every every person is different. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know. I know. In particular, there was one person I knew that went from he joined the Navy as, as an ordinary seaman, ended up an admiral. You know, uh, it's very very rare to to see one go all the way to the top from the very uh, from their very lowest ranks, and a lot of people drop out along the way. I. In my in my career, I only spent 23 years in the Navy, and because I was an engineer, I was not in the operations end, and the operations people are the ones that go up to the top. Uh, okay. After 23 years, I said, "No, this is this is good. I think I'll uh, find another career now," and and I joined the public service, uh, still working for the Navy, but as a civilian engineer. Right. One of the reasons, one of the reasons I I did not go operations was that wasn't my thing. I was not good at it. Yeah. I I remember as as a junior officer, everybody has to be a watchkeeper. Everyone has to do their bridge watchkeeping time, do all the drills, know everything, make snap decisions, and and be correct. I wasn't good at that. I'm more of a process person. I like to plan everything out. And by the time I had reached a decision, it was too late. The emergency was long gone. Yeah, I, I, totally I chose to go that. I chose to go into the technical branch, into engineering. And it was uh, the best thing I could have done because I was that was where I belonged. Yeah. And after <laughs> after 20 years in the Navy, uh, they said, okay, you can uh, you can retire if you want. We're not gonna we're not gonna uh, we're not gonna hold you back. And I I continued to work for the Navy as, as a civilian, and uh, it was great. That's after that's awesome. another fifteen years with with the public service. One of my jobs was to go over to Brussels and represent Canada on a, on a steering committee for a project that tested ship systems, ships electronic systems. Okay. And I found out that the project manager of that project was retiring. He was a Norwegian. And he said, George, you might be interested in this job. I applied for it. And I won the job. I was very lucky. Of course, I worked hard. I studied everything I could find about, about that, uh, about that work. And I won the job, but in NATO, they have a, a process where they have an establishment committee, which is political. And they actually said, I find out later that there are too many Canadians winning jobs here. We have this other person who's also a qualified candidate and these, I won't mention the country, but uh, 
there's not enough representation from the Southern European nations. They don't want to leave their nice climate and come up to rainy, cold Brussels. And so they're underrepresented. And they said, okay, we'll give the job to the other qualified candidate. And so I did not get the job. Uh, that's a failure? Not really. No. But it was a tremendous disappointment. Yes, but many people uh, would consider that a failure. You had one. Yeah. So uh, what I did was I have another job came up. The senior engineer in, in, in that office was also retiring uh, the year after. I applied again. And I was very lucky I won that job too. And this time they put me in the job. But meanwhile, the project manager from this Southern European country said, well, I think I'd rather be back in my villa uh, on the seaside, enjoying life than being up here away from my family. His family didn't come up to Brussels. So after five months, he left. And so now debate, what are we going to do? Have another competition? That's not a good idea. They wanted to do that, but the chairman of the steering committee convinced them that you should take the other candidate, whoever he may be. And they said, you. well, if all the nations agree in writing, then we can do it. Unbelievable. All the nations agreed in writing, and I got the job. So you got the job, but then you didn't get the job, but then you got the job. <laughs> That's right. I, I, I got the job, lost the job, and then I got it back again. It, it, it's, it, it's, it's, uh, I, the, the, I think the luckiest break I've ever had because I thoroughly enjoyed my, it's one of the, one of the best jobs. I probably the best job I ever had, except maybe for retirement. <laughs> My work in Ottawa was also extremely, extremely rewarding. I loved work. I was working there in a thing they call electronic warfare. And I was working with the scientists at the Defense Research uh, uh, Lab in Ottawa, who specially was electronic warfare. And it was so much fun. We were, we were dealing with, uh, with the U.S. and the Australians and the, and the U.K., on collaborative uh, research uh, and development projects, which uh, would just blow your mind. I mean, it, I mean, it opened my eyes to things I had never ever dreamed could could happen. Of course, we're, we're going back 30, 40 years. Uh, all this stuff is commonplace now, but uh, the things that uh, the things that they did were so interesting, and I, I, I really enjoyed that work. And I've really enjoyed coming here to uh, to Brussels, and that's where I am now. Even though I'm retired, I've stayed here. I came here, and it's a different sort of job. I had a staff of four people, and we ran the project with four people. Now we had test ranges. I had a had a test range in Norway, but the Norwegian Navy ran that for me. I had a test range in Greece. The Greek Navy ran that for me. And I had a test range in the Bahamas. And the U.S. Navy ran that for me. It was, uh, it was wonderful to have these 
really extremely highly qualified people all working together and we improved as we went along. In the 10 years that I was there, we made a lot of very, very positive changes. And I brought in new systems. Uh, of course, these systems are now out of date and they're being replaced, but. Uh, that's that's the it, way it, with technology. It was, a, it, was a great, it was a great thing to really be in the middle. I had really, now I didn't have a boss. I had every country was my boss. The steering committee was my was my boss, and and representatives from each country got together uh, twice a year and told me what to do. <laughs> and that was that was that that worked that worked out very well. I in in my view, it's a little different from how from how most people do it for sure. Um, here's a question for you though, like when you're, when you're dealing with, uh, you know, your own team and then multiple other teams and you're working on all this collaboration, what happens when something doesn't go right? Like you're, you're doing all this planning, you're getting ready for a test and it just does not work at all. Like this was the expectation. This was the reality. So what, what, what would happen when something like that happens? Like what kind of steps would you guys take to, to look at, you know, who has to do what and what needs to be done to try and redo things to get to the success point? There are so many, so many things that can go wrong. So no, no kidding. Uh, we had uh, a boy, we used uh, a boy for, to, to judge a ship's position. You had to have a reference point. And this boy, depending on which way the sea was running, the boy would be on a on a long lead down to an anchor on the bottom and it would move so you wouldn't have an exact position you would have an approximate position so we came up with an idea with great idea to have a three-point moor which kept it absolutely in the right position trouble is uh this was in uh off the island of crete in in the mediterranean the seas in the winter there are just very, very, very rough. And the boy one day disappeared. Who was gone? We thought some fishermen had come along and cut it, cut it loose. So we put another one down, or we had another one put down. And the next winter, it disappeared. Uh, it, it just, you just couldn't, you couldn't deal with the uh, the strength of the sea. In, in that in that area, it would pull, it will pull a boy off the bottom. Wow! It was wow. Uh, it was a three point moor, so it was back to uh, to the old to the old method of uh, dealing with it that had worked in the past. Every every uh, problem that we ran into had a solution. Some were not solved quickly. Some took some time. Absolutely. Well, everything has, every problem has a solution. I think it's trying to get people to that solution without having them bail on it first. Um, <clears throat> one of my favorite failure quotes um, was from Winston Churchill, actually, when it's um, success is stumbling from failure to failure with no loss of enthusiasm. And I really like that because I, I've had a number of people ask, how I keep just doing things. Like I, I've tried and gone past so many things in my life. Many people will call them failures. I call them learning points. Um, but going from one to the other and just being like, 
whatever. Yeah, that that didn't work out. But what can I? These are learning experiences. Yeah. yeah. What can I take from that to to put into to what I'm doing next? So that wasn't a complete failure. It just might be I I may have even lost interest in in where it was going, but I can still take that information and and take it to the next place. And that that's one of the big things that uh, I kind of see um, on the military side of things is you know especially with so many awesome team members, you, you kind of just get together and come up with a solution to, to the problem at hand, whether it works or you have to revert back. Um, out of curiosity, did you ever hear from those two boys, buoys again? <laughs> like, did anybody ever be like, hey, look at what we found? Never, ever. Well, I mean, it's been close to 20 years now. Who knows? But in in my time, they were never seen again. And we we dismissed the point that of fishermen coming along and and cutting them again when we 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 saw the 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 strength of the sea and and the damage it could do to uh, other to other uh, other things in the area. Uh, we 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 lost uh, antennas from lightning uh, lightning strikes. Uh, uh, all sorts of things that could go wrong went wrong. And we had extremely capable people that super problem solvers. And that's, uh, we had problems. We had people that, that solved the problems. Now, and, uh, was very, there any very, kind of, very lucky there. Yeah. Was, was there any kind of internal thing where there is no, no answer? Like, uh, like with some some jobs I've had, like when when you run into a thing, they'll be like, okay, well, you know, let's see if we can find a solution for it. But in other areas, they're like, that there's always a solution. Rather than let's look for the solution, there is a solution. Let's just find it. Um, do you think the military has more of a kind of gear towards that? Like we have the smartest people. Let's make this happen. Well, we kept putting out new things, and when you put out a new thing, you a new type of test. We we tested the accuracy, basically, of, of ship systems. And when you test a new piece of kit, you 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 run into problems. And some of those get solved, and some of them don't. That's that's just the way it is. And some you just stumble on for years without a without a a good solution. But I'm I, I'm getting away from the fact that. I was here in Brussels, and now I'm one step removed from the hands-on technical work that the guys on the ranges were doing. My my job was really to to manage the project and to keep. We had eight member nations in, and other nations as well that were customers of our project. I had to keep them happy. Every nation was contributing funds to keep the project running so they could come and test their ships at our at our one of our three any of our three ranges and if they weren't happy they'd leave the project and so they had to be knowing what was going on they had to be happy that they were getting value for what was being spent now, did you ever biggest, run into any big issues with biggest, multiple areas? Biggest issue? Yeah, biggest issue we ever had was the UK. UK suddenly decided, oh, we're spending too much money. We've got to cut back the defense budget. And 
your project 4X is on the chopping block. We're, we're not going to be part of this project anymore. And the UK was deciding, had decided to leave. Talk about a scramble. We need every one of our nations because if one leaves, the cost everyone else goes up. Yeah. And we got uh, a four-star admiral involved, uh, Sacklant, uh, in, in Norfolk, Virginia, actually got into it. He happened to be a British admiral, which was helpful. Yes. And he said, you guys don't know what you're losing. This is what you're losing. And, you know, get back on the ball. Read, 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 redraw what you're going to cut and what you're not going to cut because you're not going to cut this. <laughs> uh, of course, we, we, had, we had some good people in Sackland in, in Virginia that, that helped him draft what, in fact, wrote the letter for him, uh, what he was going to tell the, the, the British government. And they turned around and said, yeah, okay, maybe you're right. <laughs> they listen. They listen to four-star people, don't they? Much more than they Absolutely. listen to us. Yeah. Now, as, as you I could have said the exact same thing, and they could have ignored you completely. <laughs> you probably did. Well, they wouldn't have. They wouldn't have had. That would have been the failure. The fact is, we managed to keep the UK in the project. Uh, a few years later, there was a British ship testing their systems on our range in Greece. And then went over into the Persian Gulf. And their ship had a, a boat's crew that was captured by the Iranians and, and locked up. They said, you're in Iranian waters. And the ship said, no, we're not. We know where we are. We have good systems. Besides, they've just been tested. Here's the test results that they had just done at our range. In fact, they were able to prove where they were from uh, from our test results. That was something that wouldn't have happened if the UK had dropped out of the project. They were, we were very, very lucky they didn't drop out, but so were they. It's, it was, I uh, hate to use those win-win words, but uh, it was, that was one of those situations. Absolutely. Well, we, we've had a lot of really, really real close calls, and we, we've been lucky all along. Everything is has worked out in the end. Uh, we, we've, we've solved problems collectively. It's, it's not me solving problems. We all work together, and we, we had a great team. We had a wonderful team. Yeah. In my office, I had, a, I, had a, I had a Greek uh, <clears throat> IT person. I had a, a senior engineer who was a, a U.S. person, uh, myself, and I had a German uh, 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 principal assistant, and just the four of us. We we uh, we answered to the uh, to the steering committee, and and let actually let the ranges do the work. Yeah. And well, here's the, the ranges uh, mostly uh, solved their own problems. We just we just helped them. Help guide 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 their directions. Um, yeah. I like that you brought up that everybody was from different areas, um, um, especially in in technology these days. I know one of the big things that people are trying to do is pushing to have people from different industries work together. Um, 
I'd be interested to find out what, what was your experience working with people from different cultures? Do you think having those different cultures from people from different areas helped um, them, help, helped you all better understand not only working together, but working with other groups? And do you think that was a, a big benefit for you? Absolutely. Without, without, without a question of uh, these, these other nations add so much. They have different cultures. Yes. Uh, sometimes there's communication problems. We worked in English. Everyone worked in English in our project. Although NATO has two official languages, English and French, everyone in our project worked in English because the Norwegian range worked in English, the Greek range worked in English, and obviously the U.S. range worked in English as well, or pretty close to English. <laughs> Can't help a few digs there. Uh, we... we uh, I, I guess written communication uh, required sometimes you had you had to carefully read things, carefully write things, so you didn't put things a, a, across in the wrong way. Uh, well, especially you when you're to, dealing with things you, like you had coordinates. to listen in meetings, and you and 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 you had to be very clear as well. And, yeah, and sometimes meetings were hard to understand. But no, oh, the uh, the different nations add so much, so much breadth and depth to uh, to any to any meeting. Absolutely, I would actually, I'd love to to sit in on a couple of meetings, like more of those high level meetings with like all the different nations to to hear them talk about those like different things. <laughs> like when somebody brings something up that needs to be discussed, how it's going to affect all the different nations, where because most people think very one-dimensionally. Um, I find, especially in North America, they're very here, here, what's happening here. This is how it's going to affect us. But very rarely do we ever look outside our small little bubble to see how is this going to affect others. And uh, I love the fact that it was very collaborative and, and people worked to, to solve those issues together rather than, you know, this is us, you do your thing. Mm -hmm. I really like that. Um, do you yeah. think that, um, I, I know with uh, military-based stuff anyway, um, people will see things as, well, there, there, there's still successes and failures, I think, but do you think that um, the, the military's view on failure, because you, you, you see in the, it, like in the movies and stuff that it, there, there's no no for an answer and, you know, we can do this and, you know, we won't take no for an answer. Do you think the military perspective on we can't fail, there's no failure, do you think that helps push everything forward and get to those goals as opposed to we can, you know, just basically thinking, well, we can do this, let's try it? Well, quite often, uh, more than that, you find people that just dig their heels in and say, no, we're not going to do that. And, of course, when, when that person is from another country and is not reporting directly to you, you can't say you must do it. You've got to show them why they should do it. And sometimes you, you find an alternative. If, if someone's blocking the road, you find an alternative. Quite often, countries don't agree. Quite often, people in meetings they never shout. They're, they're very nice people, but they don't agree. They don't agree. 
Uh, I remember the first steering committee meeting I went to when I was representing Canada. I thought the chairman was just a master at, at helping people come to a solution. People would just be they're almost getting angry and they cut back and forth, back and forth. You don't understand. You don't understand, you know, kind of thing. Gentlemen, it's time for a coffee break. <laughs> Everyone goes off, has a coffee, chats among themselves. You come back 15 minutes later, you have a solution. Everyone's, oh, we understand now. We had a chance to talk to each other. Uh, it, it, it's amazing how, how that happens so many times. That, yeah. Uh, I, I, I've seen that, uh, happen quite a bit, uh, in, in meetings and there's, that there's, there's nobody to chair it to, to kind of say, you know, let's go this way or that way. But, um, definitely something that I have always tried to do is if, if somebody isn't understanding what I'm trying to put across, like, you know, these are the reasons why we should do this, but if they don't think that it's still a good reason, I will go back and try and figure out a better way to present that inf information to get them to understand. Cause, um, I found in, in my technical experience anyway, that most of the issues um, with stuff that I've presented was a um, an understanding issue of understanding the underlying reasons. Like here's what we're presenting and that's pretty much all they're seeing at that point. But, you know, shedding the light on all this darkness over here and saying, you know, this is why we need to get to this point. I find that people tend to come together a little bit more once they have a better understanding. Um, and then you get less of the, you don't understand back and forth. <laughs> but it would be nice to have somebody moderating that. that oh, yeah. We always had a chairman. And, and, <laughs> and, a, and, and a good chairman makes a good meeting. Absolutely. Uh, everyone else, a lot of people contribute. Some people, if they're not that good in English, are not understanding everything. So it has to be very clear. And sometimes at, during these breaks, a lot of the misunderstanding gets sorted out. Absolutely. Now, here's a what I think is a great question for you. Out of, out of everything that you've done, um, obviously you've had some great successes. What do you think would be one of the greatest successes that you've had that could have become a failure if you hadn't have been working together or somebody hadn't have found a, a better way to do things or a new way to do things? Yeah, well, I think just winning the job in NATO, to me, you know, it was very, very competitive. Some great people. I was very lucky to be, uh, to be chosen. But when I lost that job, the fact is I was discouraged and I was advised not to apply for another job. I was told by several people, you know, they, they, you know, you, you'll, you'll never, you'll never, you'll never get a job over there. And I applied anyway, and I was lucky the second time. Uh, it, it it helped a lot that I had been attending those meetings and, and knew what they were talking about. I wasn't coming in blind. That gave me that gave me a tremendous advantage over somebody that 
hadn't been involved with the project and probably was twice as capable as me. But uh, another person who was involved with the project, very, very, very capable uh, person, decided, no, I'm not going to apply after all. I'm, I'm going to drop out. He would have won. He would have easily won. He didn't because he wasn't there. Yeah, and I think that I think a lot of people can relate to that, um, uh, especially going for for a position that uh, they really wanted and not getting it, um, not necessarily ending up in the same position where they did end up getting it in the long run, uh, though some would. But um, I think you've definitely uh, um, resonated with uh, with people on on that topic of you know you you really want that you don't get it, but there there's that whole you know. It's not a failure, but some people would still perceive it as a failure. I failed. I didn't get the job. And then, like you said, it's very discouraging. And then they don't want to try again or don't want to apply for other positions or stuff like that. And I think uh, a lot of people, um, especially upper management, don't necessarily see that where, you know, people on the lower level see that and it makes them drive harder to be like, no, I'm not I'm not going to be like that. I'm not going to sit and wallow in it. I'm going to go for this again. And uh Make make that achievement. well. You you can approach any any failure by by quitting. That that then it is really a failure. I think you Absolutely. can also approach a failure by uh, adapting, uh, learning, uh, or changing your strategy or or going around the problem. There Absolutely. are many many ways to to uh, to deal with a failure. But they're not a failure unless you make them your own failure. Yeah. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And that leads me perfectly in, into my final question. If you could give one piece of advice to somebody that is struggling to overcome a fear of failure or overcome some kind of roadblock, uh, what kind of advice would you give them? I would say if you're not willing to fail, take the easier path. <laughs> Find an easier way and don't don't set yourself up with a something that you have to accomplish. There's, there's, there's always a, an easier, softer way uh, that you can take. And you're, you, you may fail some other way, but uh, if you're not willing to take a risk, um then find find that easy find that easy route yeah. absolutely i again i i couldn't agree more i think you hit the nail right on the head with that um it's, it's been, exciting it's exciting to to take the risk isn't it it really Look is at what you're doing you're taking a risk they're like how I do you really do uh think you're doing a wonderful job Thank you. And honestly, every time I do it, uh, I'm a little terrified um, still to, to go live and, and to be doing this. But it the the feeling afterwards, once you've actually done it, so greatly outweighs the fear that I had before that it makes it worth it and it makes me want to do more. So it, uh, <clears throat> it, it it's <laughs> like I said, you, you hit the nail on the head there that just do it. Find the easier route if you, if you can. That if you can't go this route, find find the way that makes it easy for you. I love that. 
So um, again, thank you so very much for, for coming on the show today. Um, I've had a pleasure discussing things with you. You've had some amazing stories and I think people are gonna love it. Okay, well, thank you, Craig. Appreciate, thank you. Uh, appreciate you having me. Excellent. And uh, thank you for everybody uh, watching and listening today. Um, we'll have another episode for you next month. We'll talk to you soon.